podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Cricket Badger Podcast with Cricket 365. The Cricket World Cup 2019. Afghanistan. Australia. Bangladesh. England. India. New Zealand. Pakistan. South Africa. Sri Lanka. West Indies. Let's pick the bones out of this tournament. With your host James Butler, Cricket 365 Zoli Fisher, and journalist Akash Shiva Subramanian. Hello everybody, welcome along to the second edition of the Cricket Badger World Cup weekly podcast with myself James, it's Akash and it's Ollie as it's going to be throughout the whole of the World Cup and we're chatting all things that have happened in the first week and we're looking ahead to the results or the prospective results of week two. Ollie, how are you? Yeah, very good mate, yourself? I am and it's been good hasn't it so far the first week. You know, maybe a slightly predictable start, matches were slightly one-sided but it's, it's boiled up the last couple of days have been very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, we've got a we've got a couple of shocks to discuss, but uh, the, the tournament certainly started in the exciting fashion that we all hoped it would. And Akash, I'll come to you now. If anybody was listening last week, and if not, why not? We made our predictions about who was going to win the World Cup last week. Well, I went for England. Ollie went for India. Both of who are still very much in the competition. South Africa, though, Akash, two defeats. I'm shocked after the game because I certainly expected them to be okay, but not this bad. But when you look at the combinations and the injuries that they had suffered over the past week, I think, I mean, I'm sure that I made a wrong decision last week. I've seen a couple of comments, guys, that the South Africans are suffering because of IPL jet lag. And there seems to be a slight imbalance in the way the World Cup started. India, we get to see them. We've seen them in pictures. They've been netting and all the rest of it, but yet to play a game. By the time they actually take the field, most of the other teams have played two matches. They seem to have got special treatment from the ICC, who have let them have a little bit more breathing time after their major domestic showpiece. Yet, if you think back a week or so, when Somerset were winning the Royal London One Day Cup final, denied some players, Hampshire were that day, James Vince couldn't play for them, and Liam Dawson couldn't play for them. Where was the recognition of an English major domestic showpiece there? India are very powerful in the world game, aren't they, Akash? is, is this fair that they're allowed a little bit of extra breathing time? I really don't think it's fair for them to have so much breathing time. It's just not little breathing time. They have a whole week. Not only they have a whole week, they also had the time to look at the other matches, look at other teams' strengths and weaknesses over the week. They also know where the teams stand after two games, which makes it more easy for them to calculate on which games that they have to win and which games that they can slightly compensate on. I think it's, it's, it's unfair for the other teams as well. Because given that IPL got over on the 24th and then they just have a few days off and they have to start with the World Cup, whereas India have a extra week off before they start their campaign. Really unfair. That, that's a good point, isn't it, Ollie? That, you know, when, you, when you come into a tournament, you can make your, like we did last week, you make your predictions on how strong you, you think some teams are. Some teams can play better than you, you imagine they're going to do. And if you're caught cold by them in one of the first two games, you suffer. But India are able to actually make their evaluations. They've seen Bangladesh maybe playing quite well. West Indies are overachieving. Pakistan are obviously, as we're going to be discussing in a few moments, kind of hit or miss. But 
India have had time to actually soak in the tournament without actually having to state their colours to the must? Yeah, um, the team that I feel most sorry for in, in this situation is South Africa because obviously they'll have played two games going into that first game that India are going to play and they've lost two, so the pressure's all on them. You know, there definitely needs to be a, a little bit of leeway given for the fact that India have been over here since the back end of May and they've played a couple of warm-up games with mixed results. Um, they played a very strong lineup against New Zealand and got absolutely spanked by them. So I don't know how much it factors in. Obviously, the first competitive game for them of the World Cup is going to be a massive benchmark of where they're going to be because South Africa are fighting for their tournament lives and India are going to be kind of feeling it out. It's at the Rose Bowl, so... In theory, if India are on form, they're going to rack up a big score. It's going to be a really interesting game. But yeah, like I say, the, the team that I feel for most in this whole situation is South Africa because it's pretty much win or bust for them at this point. It does seem strange, isn't it, when we've seen pictures of India being in this country for quite some time now, netting and having their warm-up games. And yet when the tournament starts, they continue to net whilst the people around them have to actually start to try and win points. Let, let's start to have a look back over the week that we've just seen then. And... As I said, we've made our predictions on who we thought was going to win the World Cup. I've gone for England. Ollie's gone for India as his main pick. And Akash has uh, gone with South Africa. Of what you've seen so far, possibly Akash you, uh, can predict your answer. And I can predict your answer as well, Ollie, because we haven't actually seen your team yet. I guess this centres around England, doesn't it? I had England to win it. And they started off probably going along at maybe four out of five against South Africa. I think the total of 311 was probably better than a lot of people give it credit for. We, we're getting spoiled, really, in this country and seeing 300-plus totals every time England goes to the wicket. And then after Pakistan had lost 11 ODIs on the bounce, they'd been humiliated by the West Indies in their opening World Cup game. They rock up at Trent Bridge and they beat the English yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday night, so on Monday, Pakistan, all smiles at the end of that game. They've got themselves back into the World Cup. It's typical Pakistan, isn't it? They, they, you can never predict a Pakistan match. This is it. I mean, they might as well rename Pakistan, to be honest, to Jekyll and Hyde, because they are literally that unpredictable in terms of their performances. We saw it going into the Champions Trophy. I don't think anybody would have placed a bet on them going into the Champions Trophy. But out of nowhere, they, they pulled together an amazing tournament where the fielding was on point, the bowling was amazing and the batting you know, was, was good enough. I think the bookies would have absolutely favoured England going into that, that England second game, obviously Pakistan's second game as well. But the Pakistan that we were hoping would show up in this World Cup in order to make it an interesting tournament did show up. Uh, they were fantastic. I think it's probably, from an English fan's point of view, it's the right time to lose a game because it gives us opportunity to kind of iron out the issues that we saw. It also arises a few concerns in terms of we can't, as we did in the one-day series that we won 4-0, keep chasing 350. It just doesn't happen over over a span of ODIs, and it doesn't tend to happen in major tournaments. You know, the World Cup record for a run chase is what it is for a reason. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a knockdown for England in terms of we're not as good as we think we are. We need to get back to playing basic cricket very well. But for Pakistan, could this be another launching point? They must be thinking, can we win another major tournament on English soil? Akash, your loyalties from your heritage are with India, I assume. Asking you questions about Pakistan maybe is uh, dangerous on a podcast, but isn't it good for Pakistan or good for the World Cup that Pakistan are, are still fighting and are still encouraging their supporters and winning matches in this World Cup? Certainly it is good for Pakistan to perform like this because this, uh, this World Cup, unlike the others, are based on point systems. So it dramatically changes the whole scenario that we were looking at before this game. We were looking at Pakistan going down because of the first game, and then they suddenly turn up 
and they throw out England, who are favourites to win, win the tournament. So uh, something like this happening in this tournament certainly makes way for other teams to perform well and they could leapfrog the favourites. So essentially, I think this particular game sums up what the World Cup is unpredictable. Certainly has been unpredictable so far. And people have been talking about having to win six matches to get through to the, the final four, into the semi-finals. But I can certainly foresee a situation where five wins and a good net run rate will, will take a team through. It could be quite congested in that middle of the table if teams start to beat each other. And Pakistan have been the, the prime example of that so far. <laughs> The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Ollie. I'm going to come to you now because we've had a little bit of um, banter, hate that word, but I'll use it, <laughs> on uh, WhatsApp over the last few days because we're both part of the same uh, Cricket365 cricket group. And you are the prime example to me, Ollie Fisher, as somebody <laughs> who is, <laughs> you're predicting what I'm going to say here as well. You predict mm. a match after two balls or, or before it's even started. You were all over England. England are going to win the World Cup. I'm really confident about England. Then about five minutes before that, game against South Africa got underway you t- you sent a message to the WhatsApp group going got a really bad feeling about this going to lump on South Africa you need to be a bit uh, more even, even keel Ollie I think Akash will back me up on this at no point did I say England they're going to win the tournament I didn't say England were even going to win that game I, I thought England would win the game if it played out the way that it did but you know it's England cricket team in a major tournament, we don't do things the easy way. And I think anybody who expects any different is quite frankly a fool. I think that um, the game against Pakistan <laughs> proved that. You're calling me a fool? You're calling me a fool? Uh, yeah, well, I <laughs> just think you need to manage expectations. I mean, I'm saying this as a 22-year-old who's been watching English cricket for like nine or ten years, but that's by the by. I just It's kind of like football in a sense. You just have to manage your expectations. And like I say, I think the game against Pakistan proved that. If you get too optimistic and think we're going to walk over anybody, then you're going to be disappointed at the end of it when, when we end up crashing out. And that game against South Africa, you're right, at the halfway stage I was very nervous I was probably a little bit irrational which is why those things came out saying I'm going to bet on South Africa that was purely to cushion the blow if we were to end up losing that game thankfully we didn't but I kind of wish at the halfway stage I'd have lumped on Pakistan in in England's second game there but I think that so far in this tournament if anything I've been proven pretty right well no surprise there obviously <laughs> you're a man of immense knowledge and, and strength going back to what we were saying about England and managing expectations the English fans you, you mentioned football but it's the same is going to be true with this World Cup one great win and oh we've got the tournament in our hands one defeat to Pakistan oh it's going to be the same old same old we need to get somewhere in the middle don't we and be a little bit more rational it's hard to do isn't it when your heart's ruling your head yeah English media is not known for their rationality uh, it's very <laughs> sensationalist it's very one way or the other I think when you go into a, a tournament on home soil as favourites it's very difficult to shrug off that tag but the way that you shrug that off and turn things the other way completely flip it is is to lose a game that you're expected to win so now it'd be interesting to see how the English team cope and how the media respond to England losing a game that they were favourites in thankfully we've lost it the second game of the tournament 
And if England to now go on and win seven games out of seven to, to finish the group with eight wins and one defeat, then I frankly wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, I, I just think it's a bit of a leveller. And Owen Morgan said it best when he said that, you know, this is a game where we, we now realise that we've got to get back to basics, start, start playing cricket again, fielding well and not assuming that we're invincible. So, yeah, there's a lot of cricket still to be played, obviously, but I think I think it was a useful game against Pakistan. Akash, your, uh, your name is very much Indian heritage and quite rightly you're proud of that heritage in terms of England and India in, in world sport where does your heart where does your head sit where, who, who do you actually want to see win we, we heard who you thought might win last week but who would you like to see win this World Cup if, I, if I'm being honest I would like to see Australia win not England or India and I'll, I'll reason it out as well so for the past, I think, six or seven months, the media have always reported saying that Australia lacks this, Australia lacks that. And never to a point, we have, we have seen that Australia are capable of doing something. So when we come when we're from into the World Cup, we've always thought of Australia as an outside chance to win the World Cup because they have not been good in the past one year. But when things are coming in their favour, the bowling is starting to click, the batting is starting to click, and then you also have experience in the side with which knows how to win tournaments. So that makes it, that, that, that edge X factor, I think, might be in their favor. I don't want to think them, but might be in their favor. Should we be booing? Or should, well, I'm, I'm not going to say we, because I, I certainly wouldn't do it. But should people be booing <laughs> David Warner and Stephen Smith when they walk to the crease? I really don't think, because I think they've already served their punishment, right? So even if ICC punishment is in place, it's not for an year. It's, it's what the Australian board has given them. And... They've been out of cricket for a year, and they've, they've, they've re, I think, certainly paid their punishment and paid their dues. Now they're back, and we should appreciate good cricket. I think you're absolutely bang on with that. It's two players that we'd like to see in the World Cup, because they're two of the best players in the world. I think from a, a supporter standpoint, it lacks a huge amount of class. You know, it, it sounds a little bit up, up one's own backside if you say this is cricket, it's a gentleman's game, but it is. And we should be a little bit more respectful of people, I think, than that. They, they cheated. They've done their time. They're back on the pitch. We don't have to support them, but I don't think booing them is necessarily the right way of uh, going about it. And I think with, with top-class players, the ones at their very best, which David Warner and Stephen Smith are, it spurs them on. It makes them think, right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to concentrate now. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to go and get a big score. It's a dangerous ploy, isn't it, Ollie? If, you know, ahead of the World Cup and ahead of the Ashes to actually stir these two up to actually maybe encourage them to score even more runs. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that it will absolutely spur them on. I think that's very much it, without wanting to generalise in, in an Aussie nature, in, you know, in, in, the face of, in the face of opposition to sort of rise up and, and make yourself known. I disagree with both of you, though. I think they should be booed. I think they should be absolutely um, hung out to dry by English crowds because you know regardless of if you served your time or not a thief's still a thief and a cheat is still a cheat and I think that they're going to get a very hostile re reaction and reception from English crowds there's absolutely no doubt about it regardless of what we say on this podcast regardless of what the media say and whether it'll spur them on or whatever English crowds are like that it's very it's very hostile it's it's very volatile um, and I think we should honestly just kind of accept that it's going to happen. Whether it spurs them on or not remains to be seen, but I'm, I'm all for it in a way. You know, this is what home advantage is all about. If we're just going to sit there and applaud them when they make 100, then it kind of renders what's happened in the past a little bit pointless, doesn't it? Do, do you know what I'd do? I'd, I'd encourage every single England fan that goes to an England-Australia game this summer, when they enter the arena, to stay completely quiet. 
And if they enter to a library, it's going to make them just think, oh, blimey, what's going on, what's going on here? When it's a, a chorus and a cacophony of boos, yeah, I think it just actually makes them play better, which is a worry to me because they're two very, very fine players. Let's move away then from the top end of the table and we'll go towards the bottom end of the table where nobody wants to be. And we made our predictions who would finish bottom last week. And I'm starting to, starting to regret my choice. Afghanistan was, was your pick. Both you and uh, Oli Akash picked Afghanistan. I went for Sri Lanka, but today we've seen the Sri Lankans beat Afghanistan. And despite the fact that Afghanistan have shown a lot of fight and a lot of quality, they've hit a few sixes and they've entertained, I'm starting to wonder whether you've made the right choice, Akash. Actually, if you look at the table right now, I think I've made the wrong choice. I've predicted South Africa to win the league and they are their last. So probably I've made the wrong decision. But I guess over the period, I, I think we will see Afghanistan on the bottom of the table because of lack of experience looking at the other team. You accused me last week, Ollie, of being the Afghan PR guru. I've got a hard job on my hands at the moment, haven't I? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I, I think that um, it was not going to boil down to this game because obviously it's so in, early in the tournament, but this would be a good kind of litmus test of where Afghanistan are as a side. If they can't beat a Sri Lanka team that is the worst it's been in a long time, then they don't have much of a hope of challenging for the top four, and now they're certainly looking towards the bottom end of the table. I stand by my prediction that I look down Afghanistan's fixture list, especially after the loss against Sri Lanka today, and I don't see anybody that they're going to beat. Perhaps that is down to a lack of experience. You kind of figure with having a young core that they're going to go in there with a certain fearlessness. But then we saw in the collapse against Sri Lanka, they had two sort of mini collapses, exactly what they're lacking. And that is that little bit of robustness, the bit of the bit of knowledge, the bit of experience, just to kind of get the game under control and get over the line. Don't get me wrong, their rise to where they are now has been absolutely phenomenal. And they deserve nothing but credit for even participating in this World Cup. But This is why I love uh, them, Molly. This is why I love them. Because go back to 1992 when Pakistan were winning the World Cup and the mm -hmm. fireworks were going off. There were a bunch of uh, Afghanistan refugees in a, in a refugee camp just on the border who were watching those fireworks, who were getting excited by the fact that Imran Khan's Pakistan had won the World Cup and they were tearing branches off trees. They were taking socks and putting tape around them and they were playing cricket in their refugee camps. And that has basically gone from there to all the way up to the ICC affiliate rankings against Guernsey and the like on the way up. No disrespect to Guernsey, if you're listening. And they are now at the top end of world cricket and they are playing and they've got some world beaters in their side. I disagree with you. I, I don't think Sri Lanka win another game. I'm still sticking with my bet. I don't think Sri Lanka win another game in this World Cup because I think they are poor. I think that's about as good as they could play today against Afghanistan. They've raised their game in the one game they knew they could win. Afghanistan mm -hmm. could come up against the team. If, if anybody walks onto the pitch against Afghanistan thinking they've got two points on the board, that's when Afghanistan are going to be dangerous because their top order has got 20s and 30s so far. But they're capable of, yeah, if they, if they shut their eyes and they swing hard, and that's disrespectful to them because they're better than that, they can get a rapid 60, 70, even 100 in, a, in an ODI format. If they get runs on the board on a used pitch towards the end of this, this tournament, Rashid Khan, we saw Mohamed Nabi taking four wickets a day. They could do some damage and restrict their opposition. And I still think there's a, there's a win or two in Afghanistan in this tournament. Uh, they've got um, New Zealand next at Taunton in a day-nighter, which they should in theory lose. They've got South Africa after that in another day-nighter. South Africa, you've got to assume, will need another win on the board at that point. Then they've got England. Fingers South crossed Africa England could be gone the by business. them, couldn't they? They could be, they could be, but I fully expect them still to be 
to be fighting for their lives because like you say five wins and a good net run rate might be enough to get you over the line and then after that they've got England and then after that they've got India and it's then you know you've they've got Bangladesh and Pakistan after that but if they've lost their first five let's say then it's kind of hard to find motivation from there. I don't think Afghanistan will lose all nine games, but I think they'll win one. Um, and I think Sri Lanka will find another win from somewhere. So that, that that's just my prediction. I don't have anything against Afghanistan. People are going to think that I, I really despise them for some reason, but I, I, I hope to see them do well. But it's just, you know, saying it how it is, I just think that they're lacking the experience. I heard, I heard them described the other day as uh, everybody's second favourite team. Unless you're Afghanistani, obviously, because then you, they're your first favourite thing. But I think, yeah, everybody's got their own country that they're supporting. Apart from Akash, you're supporting about three different nations. They're, they're the second ones, because they're the plucky underdogs, aren't they? So everybody likes an underdog, and Afghanistan are the underdogs of this tournament. And I'd love to see them win a couple of games and, and go home with a big smile on their face, because that would be success for them and be proof that they can compete at this level, which I think we all know they can. And they're certainly going to... You know, they're an expanding, improving nation. In four years' time, in eight years' time... You know, we're only going to see better Afghanistan inside, so uh, good luck to them, is what I say. The listeners to the Cricket Badger podcast have gone up by 580% in the last 12 months. Thank you so much for all of your support for the Cricket Badger podcast. And if you want to advertise on the show, well, of course you can. You're more than welcome to play your part as the podcast goes from strength to strength. We get in front of a lot of people out there it's a real opportunity for you to put your business in front of the cricket world get in touch with us cricket badger at hotmail.com become part of the cricket badger family let's let's move on to some of the events that have happened in the last week then we'll start off with batting simple question what's been the best innings that you've seen so far in this world cup for me the best inning was i think josh butler from yesterday I think he was phenomenally good. He started well, he start, and he played out the middle overs, and he finished on a high. So I think I would pick that as my best innings of the week. It's hard to disagree with that. Obviously, he was on the uh, he was on the losing end of it. I'm going to give it to Root though because he came in at a very important time and and stabilised for England. He then came out after the game and said something about feeling like it was his fault that we didn't get over the line. I think that says a lot about Joe Root as a, as a as a player and as a person that he feels like he didn't score quick enough. In fact he scored at a decent rate and he did what he was asked to do and rebuild so I'll, I'll go with Roots innings um, but so far we haven't really seen one standout innings because obviously Roots was the first century of the tournament. I, I agree with both of you that the, the two Englishmen they're the only two centuries that we've seen so far so it has to really be between one of those two but I, I would suggest that although they played superbly to get to where they got to they both got out just at the time where they'd nearly done the work. Joe Root got out just as he got past his 100. If he'd just kept his nose down and accompanied Joss Butler, they'd have probably got across the line. And then Joss Butler did use up quite a few balls. He's a rapid century. All of his centuries are. But in Joss Butler land, it seemed to be that he was setting himself up for an absolute blitz in the last four overs. And when he got out, he never actually got to that stage. So he, he left the tail-enders in the England camp exposed at the death. So... Although there were two very, very good innings, they could have just added another 20 runs each and England would have won that game. The thing about Butler's innings in particular is that he'd got the 100, he was on 99, he hit a 4 to go on to 103, and England were well in control at that point, and then he hauled out to, I think it was backward point just after that, and it was very much like, well, 
we're back up against it now. If he'd have, if he'd have kicked on, then we'd have arguably gone on and won that game. You could say the same about Root. His conversion rate from, from 100 into big 100s arguably isn't that great. But um, like we're, we're early in the tournament, and like I say, we haven't seen a monster innings yet, so I'm, I'm still going with that. We're going to get into a situation now, because he was always, his conversion rate from 50 to 100 was always criticised. Now we're going to criticise him from getting to three figures and not going on. I think if he gets 100 in every knot, we'd be more than happy with Joe Root. In the bowling department, I'll start with this one, and I think we saw the best bowling of the week today. I think Mohamed Nabi, um, Rashid Khan takes all of the headlines for Afghanistan, quite understandably. But one of my worries last week was that with backing Rashid Khan to get the most wickets is I think teams will be more cautious against Rashid Khan and they'll take the attack to some of the other Afghan bowlers. And Mohamed Nabi made the most of that today. Three wickets in one over, four wickets in the, uh, in the match itself. Hauled Afghanistan, yet yeah, they didn't win it in the end, but he hauled them back into that game from a situation where at one stage it looked like Sri Lanka were going to get 400 against them and so for me Mohamed Nabi gets the bowler of the week. Oh I'm surprised with your pick because I would have gone with Oshani Thomas who I genuinely feel was was a express performance from him. He bowled at right length, he bowled with a good bounce. It was nearly an perfect bowling performance from him. The West Indies, they went short didn't they? They started to do what the West Indians do best and actually go for the nose, go for the chin and actually give some chin music. And I've, I've seen a few of the ex-West Indian players. Curtly Ambrose was on this much special, and he, he, was getting absolute, he was getting really excited by the fact that they were kind of going back to his day and bowling a bit shorter and going with pace. And then Viv Richards, I saw a comment from him saying that he thinks that's the way they should bowl for the rest of the tournament and you know, stick to their strengths. They're big, tall, they're fast. Yeah, you know, try and scare a few out. So, yeah, O'Shane Thomas... And I think Andre Russell in that innings as well was very good with the uh, the ball for the West Indies. Ollie, where would you go? Yeah, I think you're right about uh, the West Indies. They, they bowled short stuff, but they did it a lot better than England did. So the bowling performance of the week, well, Shane Thomas is a really good shout. I might have gone with him, but just to be different, I'll go with uh, Lockie Ferguson for New Zealand. I don't think many people were expecting him to come out with some with a spell like he did. He took 3 for 22 in their first game of the tournament. And New Zealand, for the most part in that game, kind of looked unplayable with the ball. Uh, and he was a huge part of that. He bowled really well, really tight line and length. And yeah, fingers crossed he kicks on from there. But I'll, I'll give it to him just to be different. Yeah, he's a good bowler. Yeah, he's one to watch, certainly. If you don't know him, have a watch of him for the rest of this tournament for the Kiwis. Let's move on to the next category of our discussion. It's going to be the same every single week, listeners. We're going to have a look back at the week just gone and we'll make our little assessments on uh, what we think has been the best and perhaps the worst of the week that we've just seen. To round it off, guys, the champagne moment of week one of the World Cup. I'm going to go first with this one and I'll give, give my example. And I've got a little sneaky feeling that you might agree with me. But I, we'll see, we'll see. It happened in England's first game. It was a shot out towards the boundary. Ben Stokes yeah, probably, he crept in just a little bit too far. And he's one of those things, I used to captain the club team. And when my fielders used to come in too far off the boundary edge and the ball went over their head for four or six, I used to scream at them. I used to get, get so annoyed with that. I put you on the fence, stay there. And Ben Stokes had come in too far. You saw the ball sailing over his head. And then with one hand outstretched above his reeling body, he snapped it out of the air and caught one of the best catches that you will see in international cricket. So for me, champagne moment of week one is Ben Stokes of England. That was the one that I was going to go for, obviously. It's the first game as home nation, and um, it was actually a pretty important catch in the scheme of the match. Um, he, he, I think Nasser said it best, um, he had absolutely no right to catch that. Yeah, that was certainly the, the, most, the most wow moment uh, of the tournament so far. Uh, champagne moment-wise... Again, just to be different, I would I would say the moment that Bangladesh clinched victory against 
South Africa because they kind of, I, I'd argue they're everybody's second team at this point. You know, everybody likes rooting for the underdog. Bangladesh always cause an upset at a major tournament, it seems. And to see them do it against South Africa for me was almost like eliminating one of the competition from an English fan's point of view. So again, just to be a bit unique, I'll, I'll go with Bangladesh beating South Africa. I'm not sticking with you, Englishman, this time. Uh, I, I, I go slightly different on this route. Uh, I think my champion moment for this week would be Mohamed Nabi's spell. That one over, I think, changed the course of the match. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, they didn't have the batting, I didn't have experience in the batting order to pull it off. But I certainly think that one over changed the way that we look at part-time bowlers or we will look at part-time bowlers throughout this tournament. So, Mohamed Nabi, for you, Akash, and I think myself and Dolly are in agreement that it's Ben Stokes' his wonder-cap yeah. for England against South Africa. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. If you're listening in week one, you'll know that uh, myself, Ollie, and Akash, we look ahead to the week's games ahead in the World Cup. We make our predictions. We stake five units. We have the ability to play up to five jokers as we go through the World Cup to double our stakes on a particular match. And uh, in week one, well, mixed results. Well, we all picked that England would beat Pakistan, which obviously didn't happen. Akash stuck his uh, money on South Africa to beat England, which again didn't happen. But apart from that, pretty consistent uh, success as we went down the uh, matches in week one of the tournament. And so far, week one results, Ollie is leading 44.77 returns for him. James, myself, is in second, 35.37 on the board for me. And Akash is in third with 31.25 on the board. But early days, guys, plenty to play for. So let's have a look to week two. It's been fantastic so far. We've seen some cracking games. It's only going to get back from here. I've got a real feeling we're going to see some massive excitement as we go into week two. We're recording this on a Tuesday. It was supposed to be Wednesday, but we're busy tomorrow. And we've got on Wednesday of this week, Bangladesh against New Zealand. Bangladesh at 9-4, New Zealand at 1-3. And South Africa start off at 11-8, second favourites to India at 4-7. We've all gone India. We made that decision last week, and we're going to have to stick to it. And we've gone, I've gone for Bangladesh to beat New Zealand, and you two have picked New Zealand to beat Bangladesh. Let's go on then to the fixtures up until Wednesday of next week. And we've got Australia against the West Indies on Thursday. This is a game that I am really looking forward to, because Australia, I am not convinced by Australia. They've beaten a very shaky Sri Lanka side so far in this tournament. I think they need to improve quite a lot. I think they showed a lot of negativity in how they got across the line as well. They've no account for net run rate in that run chase whatsoever, which could come back to bite them. And we've got a West Indies side who was 7-4 in the market, who after being fantastic against Pakistan, have now got to kind of back that performance up and show that that wasn't a one-off against Pakistan. That's how they're going to tackle every single game, and that's how West Indies mean business. So we'll start with you, Ollie. 
nine for Australia. It's seven to four for the West Indies. Where is your five units going? This is really difficult. This is a this is a very difficult game to call. West Indies were, were very convincing in their first game. Australia were convincing. Um, you're right. They certainly didn't um, rock it over the line, but they they, they more sauntered over the line. I'm not seen enough of Australia to really suggest that the the clear favourites for this. But I am going to go with Australia. I am going to go with Australia in this. Oh, I'm going to agree with Polly on this. I'm, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be the second high-scoring game that we've seen in this World Cup. It's going to be a, probably a contest of bat against bat and not uh, not bowlers. So probably Australia is it. So you're going to go for Australia as well. I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to go for West Indies in this one. I think West Indies will bowl short again. They'll come out with that aggression. You've got a whole set of macho bravado riddled Australian top order batsman that won't turn down the challenge of going for the hook shots it could go horribly wrong for Australia and I think West Indies might just nick in and take that one at 7-4 let's move ahead to Friday Pakistan take on Sri Lanka Pakistan are 1-3 9-4 for Sri Lanka it's short on a Pakistan side who are Jekyll and Hyde probably about right in Sri Lanka who are absolutely atrocious I'm going to go for Pakistan how are you two playing it? Uh, yeah I'm going for Pakistan as well even though Sri Lanka managed to get over the line against Afghanistan was not convinced by them at all Pakistan looks very, very, uh, very, very mixed in terms of their performance. is very unpredictable, but they certainly have the firepower to beat Pakistan in this one. Uh, so, yeah, go with them, and I'll play a wild card on that. That's your joker. Double stakes yep. then for Pakistan for Oli there at one to three. Akash, are you going to go the same way? I'm not going to go in the same way. I think Pakistan have already sh- like shown us what they're capable of, but uh, two wins on a trot. Not a Pakistani thing, so I'm going with Sri Lanka this time. Oh, that's a brave call. Sri Lanka for Akash then, 9-4 for you on that one. We'll move ahead then to Saturday. It's two matches on Saturday. England take on Bangladesh. England are 1-8 to to win that game, 5-1 to for the Bangladeshi side. And Afghanistan against New Zealand, 7-2 for Afghanistan, 1-5 to for New Zealand. We'll come to you first, Akash, England-Bangladesh. Looking at Bangladesh performance last week, uh, it's, it's making me think... But given that England are favourites at home, I think I should go with England and be with a safer bet. Yeah, I, I don't think this is going to be an easy game at all. And I don't think the fact that it's played at Cardiff is going to help, really. I think England will get over the line. I've seen enough uh, from, from Bangladesh's bowling performance against South Africa, even though they got the job done, uh, to suggest that England could take them apart. Yeah, I'm going to go with England on this. I'm going to go with... with yeah. Head and heart. England for Ollie, and it's England for me as well. England get three votes there. Last time we had three votes on England, they lost to Pakistan, so hopefully that won't continue <laughs> into this week. Afghanistan, New Zealand. My boys, my boys. New Zealand, and it wants a five for New Zealand, I'm afraid, from me. Yeah, it's New Zealand. I don't know whether it being a day night or at Taunton really does much for either side, but uh, New Zealand are by far the better team, and... Like I say, this could be the start of sort of a tournament where Afghanistan, unfortunately, lose the first five games and they're pretty much done by the middle of the month. I really want Afghanistan to win, but looking at the batting order, I don't think they have the depth to challenge New Zealand bowling attack. So, gonna go with New Zealand. We've got a mouth-watering clash on Sunday: India against Australia, nine to ten, either side is how the bookmakers see this one. Come to you first, Ollie. India, Australia. This is a corker, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's it's really hard to call this. This is the first one where I think it's very much 50-50 and we'll learn a lot from both teams' next sort of games in this, uh, as to where they are. Again, I'm going to go with, with my head on this. I'm going to say India will just about nick this one. I don't know on what base. I'm going to go Australia. Uh, and again, I don't know why. Um, I, I think I, the reason I worry about India in this uh, tournament is that English conditions 
have never really suited Indian teams in the past. If the ball doesn't move about a little bit, even the likes of Virat Kohli can succumb to a swinging ball. And I worry about India's middle order and lower order. They very much stacked at the top. If the top order doesn't fire, there's not too much to come after that. So I'm going to take Australia there at 9-10. to 10. So that's one pick a piece, India and Australia. Akash, where are you? I'm going with Australia. My reasons are clear because given that the conditions suit uh, the Australians better, I think they capitalise on that and then they get up spread. I think it's going to be tough for India to get run towards the uh, low order, which might tilt the favour in uh, Australia. Well, three more batches to call then as we head into next week. Monday sees South Africa taking on the West Indies, 8-11. to 11. For South Africa, the West Indies, 11-10, to 10, which is quite tasty, isn't it? Against the South African side that could be dead and buried by then. Akash, we'll start with you on that one. Are you taking your South African boys to still win the title and beat the West Indies? I think there is still a chance, given that the tournament is, in, is still in its infant stage, so... I'm going with South Africa. I really want them to play well. I really want them to prove a point. Okay, I'm going to take the West Indies at 11-10 because I just think they, they were one of my picks to go into the semi-finals. I was very happy with the, what I saw from them in the, the game number one in this first week of the World Cup. And if they continue in that vein, they're going to be a tough side for anybody to beat. So the West Indies will be a pick for me. Ollie, which way are you going to go? Yeah, this, this is another one that's very tough to call, obviously. The picks, in a way, aren't really dependent on each other at this stage, but I'm I've picked that Australia are going to beat the West Indies. So in this one, I'm going to pick that the West Indies roll back and win against South Africa. Bangladesh against Sri Lanka is the game on Tuesday. 8-11 to 11 for Bangladesh. Sri Lanka are 11-10 to 10 in the market. Sri Lanka, to me, I just don't give them an earthly winning another game in this tournament. Bangladesh have played really good cricket so far. Of the Asian teams, Bangladesh have looked so much better than Sri Lanka. If it goes to form... Bangladesh win this one, 8-11, to 11, my pick there. Ollie? Yeah, I don't think this one does really go to form. Um, I don't have any concrete, anything concrete to base this on, but uh, I think this is the other game that Sri Lanka win. I wouldn't agree with Ollie because I think Bangladesh are looking a better complete, or side which is complete package in contrast to the Sri Lankan team whose top order looks good and whose bowling good looks good. And there's, there's kind of a gap between the, the odds. So I think I should go with Bangladesh on this. On Tuesday, we've got Australia against Pakistan. Is it going to be the Pakistan that fires and knocks the Aussies back off their perch? Or is it going to be an easy win for Australia at 3-10? to 10? I'm going to have to take the Australians, I think. Australia for me. The last time I saw this contest, Wahab Riaz was breathing fire. I expect him to do it this time as well, but we don't have a Shane Watson on the other end. Probably Australia more experienced. It's going to be a tight contest. It's going to be the contest between bowlers, and I think Australia will lead Pakistan. Australia for you, Ollie? Yeah, once again, go with my head on this. Um, I think Australia's strength is in the top order, and, and their bowling's actually pretty good. Uh, I think they should have enough to beat Pakistan in this, but again, it's another one that could go either way if, if Pakistan show up the way that they did against England then, then they have more than enough to beat Australia but I'm going with Australia in this it's a cracking week's cricket isn't it and you can tell from our predictions we've both gone all, we've all gone on different sides of the fence as we've gone through those matches so plenty to look forward to some tight contests however you're betting gamble responsibly you do it for fun and do it to enjoy your cricket not to uh, not to lose your house and everything you own Akash and Ollie, it's been a pleasure to have you alongside me again in week two of this Cricket Badger weekly World Cup podcast I'll see you on the other side in week three. Thank you, Dean. Thank you very much. Sports 
Social Podcast Network.